with more than three dozen authors writing 66 total books, which cover 40 centuries of history, and in our English Bibles run over a thousand pages, the Bible can be pretty intimidating, especially if what you're trying to do is say, what is the main theme? What is the overall story? What is the point? What is the focus of what we call the Holy Bible? If you try to take a survey of the Bible course in Bible college, that course will generally run two semesters long. So is it possible to summarize the main theme, to draw the main picture or the main focus of the Bible at a very high level in just a few minutes? Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher, and that's exactly what I want to try to do here. Now, the Bible is this beautiful, complex piece of literature, and it has a number of themes running through it that deal with the nature of God and the nature of man, our purpose for existence, how we're to carry out that purpose, etc., The Bible explains why the world works the way it does physically, why we work the way that we do morally and emotionally. The Bible is heavy with information about our relationships horizontally with others and our relationship vertically with our Creator. So in no way do I want to downplay the complexity or the beauty of the Bible I think Christians should read the Bible. At some point in your life, you should read the Bible from the very first page to the very last page all the way through. It might take you a year or a year and a half, but I think everyone should read the Bible probably multiple times all the way through. But is it possible to just provide a survey to just say, here's the main theme and the main focus? I believe the answer to that is absolutely yes. In fact, if you said, can you describe the Bible, the entire book, Old Testament, New Testament in one word won't surprise anybody, but the answer is yes. And that one word is Jesus. That is the focus of the main theme of the Bible. To go just a little bit deeper, even when Jesus is not explicitly mentioned in a scripture, there is so often this implication, this shadow that is being cast about Jesus, the very first chapter of Genesis. Jesus is there implied in the background. When man was made, for example, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is clearly two persons, at least. Turns out it's really three, but this is multiple persons talking to one another, even in creation. So there's this hint that there's more than just Father God involved here. In fact, you go forward a few thousand years, and when John wrote his gospel, he actually tells us that it was Jesus that was the agent of creation. It was Jesus who spoke creation into existence. John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. This idea that Jesus was the acting agent in creation is repeated by Paul in Colossians chapter 1. And it's also repeated by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1. And so again, from the very first chapter of the Bible, this let us make in our image is sort of softly implying, it's setting the stage, it's preparing us for the idea of this coming 
Jesus, this coming Messiah, this coming King, this coming Christ. And you can think about it this way. In those opening chapters of the very first book, there's this faint, what appears to be a shadow being cast. It's a faint, unformed shadow, but it's there. And then you get to the third chapter of Genesis. First two chapters, God made it, it's good, we're living in paradise. By the time you get to the third chapter, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've cursed the world. Genesis 3.15, which is often called the first occurrence of the gospel in the Bible. God promises that someone born of a woman would ultimately defeat Satan. Satan had just made a blow against Adam and Eve. He cost them their life. He cost them their close connection with God. He cost them living in the Garden of Eden. But God promises in Genesis 3.15, ultimately someone born of a woman would defeat Satan. Obviously, that someone born of a woman who defeated Satan turned out to be, in the New Testament, as we know, Jesus Christ. And so as we go through the remaining chapters of Genesis, and then we go through the remaining chapters of the books in the Old Testament, one, we come to see how bad it is that we were excluded from the Garden of Eden. But we also see that shadow of this coming Savior become more defined. And as we go through those books in the Old Testament, this shadow eventually becomes a two-dimensional shape. Then it becomes almost a three-dimensional shadow, and it starts to take on the form of a human, and it starts to be in something close to what we would call living color. The Bible speaks about Adam being the first representative for mankind. And the Bible says that because Adam sinned, all of creation was cursed long before I ever came along and had a chance to make a choice to follow God or not follow God. But then the Bible also speaks about Jesus being this final representative, this ultimate perfect substitute as a man himself replacing Adam essentially on our behalf. But it's not just Adam in which we saw some reflection of the Jesus that was to come. There are so many characters throughout the Old Testament that do this reflection, that represent a small characteristic or a small attribute of the Messiah who was in the future. And you have to put all of these pieces together in order to begin to fill out that shadow in order to make it to three-dimensional, in order to take it from black and white to living color. And so again, Adam in some ways represents Seth, his son, Enoch, who was taken up alive and didn't taste death on the earth. Noah, who of course was around during the flood. Abraham, Isaac, Melchizedek, King David, all of these Old Testament characters who each have their own story, and we read their stories, and we take lessons from them for ourselves today. But one of the things that those individuals serve, all real individuals who really lived in history, one of the things they all served to do was in some way be this representative to help us understand a portion of what this coming Messiah was going to look like. Bible college folks call that being a type of Christ. They're a type of Christ. And of course, once we go from we live in paradise, now humans have destroyed paradise. God promises that someone born of a woman will come and defeat Satan so that paradise can essentially be restored. The curse can be removed. Creation can be redeemed. We see God saying, Adam failed me as my representative. 
I'm going to try Noah. Everything's gotten bad. I'm going to destroy everything but Noah and his family and see if Noah can pull through for me. Noah sins. Noah fails, as God knew he would, of course. And so then in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham that I will send another person, another representative, another human who can fulfill everything that I need fulfilled in my creation. And it's going to be one of your descendants. And it's said this way. He says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And from your descendants will come someone who will bless the entire earth. And clearly we see a connection between Genesis 3 15 and the promises that were made originally to Abraham in Genesis 12. Those, that promise was repeated to Abraham a couple of times, but it originally shows up in Genesis 12. And so we see this connection between 3 and 12 in Genesis, and we come to understand, yeah, Adam didn't work out and Noah didn't work out, but God is promising us. And now God's telling us it's not just going to be some random human that's going to show up, but it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. In order to make this happen, God is going to make Abraham a father of a great nation, which became the Hebrew nation, the Israelites. And from him will come the Messiah. And then as we go through some of the rest of the Old Testament, what we see is God provides Moses a law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God provides his people a law through his spokesperson, Moses, that says, this is how I need you to behave. And we come to understand as we look at the Mosaic law, that what it really did was show us we can't please God in the way that he really needs us to. We can't be as perfect and holy as God is. And so what the Mosaic law really did over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years was point to us our helplessness and our hopelessness without the help of this Genesis 3.15 character, without the help of this Genesis 12 character. And as we go through Old Testament prophets, you think about names like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc., all of them were given messages by God. All of them were in some sense allowed to see into the future by God. And they laid down groundwork that helped to further refine who the Messiah would be, where the Messiah would come from, how the Messiah would teach, that he would teach in parables, that the Messiah would heal, why the Messiah would die, how the Messiah would die, that the Messiah would be raised from the dead. And it all narrowed in to one, continue to fill out this picture. The Bible is a picture that paints Jesus Christ as preeminent in everything. That's the Bible. That's the theme. That's the story. That's the focus. And the Old Testament prophets, the Psalms, they're, they're painting a picture of the Messiah that helps us know when he comes, when the Genesis 3.15 person is born of a woman to defeat Satan, this is how you'll know because he's going to be born in this family Abraham's line through King David. He's going to be born in this town at roughly this period in history. He's going to act like this. He's going to teach like this. He's going to heal like this. He's going to die like this. He's going to be raised from the dead. As we shift into the New Testament, of course, we think, oh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are clearly about Jesus. They're about the life of Christ and what he did and how he taught, etc. Matthew in particular draws the connection back. This is what Jesus did. This is what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. That's how we know that Jesus is the Messiah. 
As we get to the end of the New Testament, I think there's really some misunderstanding. We've sort of been conditioned today to think that the book of Revelation is about helping us predict the end of time. We think the book of Revelation is a, is around themes like the tribulation or a rapture or the battle of Armageddon, and it's all about us, and it's to help us understand. That's totally incorrect. Revelation is about Jesus, plain and simple. Revelation is about Jesus being the king. Revelation is about Jesus being the judge. Revelation is about Jesus being the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of human history. He was here when it started because he's eternal and made us in his image. And he'll be here when history ends because he is the king and he is the judge. And as John tells us in Revelation, Jesus was the only one qualified to open the scrolls and bring history as we know it, cursed history on earth to a close. Revelation speaks in broad terms that there will be forces in the world, political ideologies, economic systems, fake religions, heathen cultures, and that they'll all line up against Jesus. And this talk about Babylon and all of these other things isn't really about human history. It's really to say everything lines up against Christ, and Christ still wins. Jesus created it. Jesus redeemed it by dying on the cross, and Jesus will ultimately conquer it and put it all in subjection under his feet. So everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is all about Jesus. It's all painting a picture. Why did God use millions of people? Why did God take thousands of years That's unclear, but it's all drawing a picture. This is what God created. This is what mankind did to it. God couldn't find a human to really represent mankind for him, and so he sent his own son to become a human, to perfectly fulfill the law so that he could redeem us from the curse of our sin in creation. And all of the Bible is either pointing towards the coming Messiah, Old Testament, or revealing and teaching us what we're to do now that the Messiah has come in the New Testament. I mentioned earlier that in addition to that first chapter of the Gospel of John, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 also speak about Jesus as the Creator. I think it's fitting. Let me close with a couple of verses from Colossians 1 that include the idea that Christ was ultimately that Creator mentioned in Genesis 1, just not mentioned by name, but include a couple of other verses after that where Paul really gets to the point of who Christ is and what the Bible is all about. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16, 17, and 18 say this, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul is saying, this is what all of Scripture has always been about. That Jesus created everything, and not just matter and stuff, but thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. Christ has created 
everything. And it was not only created through Jesus, but it was created for Jesus. Why does the Bible exist? To glorify Christ. Why do I exist? To glorify Christ. All things were created through him and for him. And right now, the most important institution we have is the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Christ physically died as a human, but was resurrected in a glorified, resurrected body. And Paul is saying he was the first to do that, but not the last to do that. He is now going to do that ultimately with all of his followers, that in everything for all eternity, Jesus Christ might be preeminent. The focus, the theme, the main character of the Bible is Jesus the Christ, fully human, fully God, promised to defeat Satan, has defeated Satan, and now he's promised that he will ultimately come back, remove the curse, and take us to be with him in resurrected bodies. And that promise is yet to be fulfilled, but is certain to be fulfilled because Jesus Christ is faithful in his promises and the same yesterday, today, and always. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.